You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast. Well, we are back for another Arrive. A bit of a surprise Arrive, isn't it, this one, Lizzie? Because we felt like we couldn't really let the first uh, women's grand tour uh, of the season go past without comment, especially when our next uh, cycling podcast, Feminine, is not for a few weeks. So we are chatting about what went on in the race because they gave us so much to talk about, didn't they, Lizzie? I know. We we postulated the idea of this uh, Welter podcast when we thought there'd be some things to talk about. And now we actually need a trilogy of Welter podcasts in order to pick <laughs> apart yeah. what's going on. But yeah, it's a special surprise episode. We've got balloons up in uh, Podcast HQ. And it has been, it's been a ridiculous week of racing, actually. Just, you know, so many stories that are just, you know, some bizarre stories, some great stories, so much really, really, really good racing and kind of not really what I thought at all. You know how every Grand Tour has its own personality. The Tour is the Tour. Um, You know, it's it's the biggest thing. It's, uh, there's so much media going on. There's all this hype and the Giro is, well, it's the Giro, beautiful scenery, completely chaotic. And I feel like the Vuelta (laughs) has more of a kind of relaxed vibe to it, but Spanish, quite laid back. And I was watching the race thinking, oh yeah, it's really nice, chilled Grand Tour. And I think it was actually stage four, Mariana Voss, stage five, sorry, Mariana Voss won the stage. And in her winner's interview, she said how it had been completely chaotic in the race. There'd been crashes everywhere, really high tension, very nervous. And I'm well, maybe it's just relaxed from the sofa. But um, it's it's certainly come to a climax this weekend, hasn't it, Rose? Oh, my goodness, it really has. And, and obviously, the Vuelta is in its new place, new slot in the calendar, uh, coming first this time as opposed to it normally being in that late August, September uh, slot. And I think it really works yeah. kicking off with a bit of an explosion And it's a this form season, isn't tester, it? isn't it? We haven't seen, it's the first stage race of the season, really, the first proper stage race of the season. Um, we haven't seen the GC riders go head to head. Everybody has bigger goals later in the season, but of course they want to get their foot in the door. They want to make their mark. And gosh, there's just so much to talk about. We hope we're going to... We hope we're going to be able to get it all into this episode. Well, we, well, we better get on with it then, Lizzie. You better tell us uh, your tale of the etapas, I think, <laughs> is what it would be, because it's numerous now uh, you're making sta- me hungry. Spanish stages. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, uh, well, there, you, there's going to be a lot to digest. Yeah. How about that? You might... You're normally the one with the puns. Lizzie, yeah, that's very good. Go. That's very good. You might need some tapas. Bear with me. It is a long run, long it's a long run and it is a long one. Well, Rose, let's have a quick recycle through what's been a brilliant week of racing, shall we? The action kicked off in Torre Vieja on Spain's Costa Blanca with sun, sea and skin suits at the seaside resort. 14.5 furious kilometres of team time trialling with Jumbo Visma coming out on top, opening their account with their first win for 2023. Anna Henderson took the red jersey, but with Canyon Tram in second by a single second, it was tight at the top. Stage two was a day for the sprinters, with Charlotte Cool the outright favourite for the day. A technical finale ensured a thriller of a finish, with Daigat launching first 550 metres from the line. A late attack or a very early sprint? We are still not quite sure. A moment's hesitation and then reaction from the red jersey of Henderson leading out Mariana Voss with Cool on her wheel. The pair jumped hard to catch Daigat, who looked like she might stay away, but Cool timed her acceleration to perfection to take the win, with Voss taking second and moving into the red leader's jersey. 
Stage three and wind was the word on everybody's lips. The longest day of the race, 157 kilometres, taking only three hours and 37 minutes with a raging cross tailwind. Trek Segafredo were the biggest losers of the day, Rayolini falling from the front group, unable to hold her own in the wind, and then Amanda Spratt puncturing from the front group at the worst possible moment. Another team time trial for the Trek Segafredo team, but this time it was 90 kilometres long. Up ahead, the remaining favourites all made the cut, with Voss edging out cool in the sprint finish, Rayolini and Spratt finishing 2.41 down. Stage four, Quentin. Don't forget that number, everybody. 2.41. It's like that tray. Don't forget. You know, we're going to have all of these items from the uh, Tale of the Atapas on the tray, and at the end, you're going to have to remember which ones <laughs> were where. You have to remember. <laughs> Stage four, Cuenca to Guadalajara. A nervous and aggressive day in the peloton saw a reduced bunch form in the hills. All of the GC favourites safe in the front and it was Mariana Voss once again who reigned supreme in the kick to the line. Stage five and the first of two summit finishes atop the Mirador de Peñas Llanas. An early split saw Van Vluten isolated at the front as Lippert took a poorly timed natural break. An innocuous crash at the front took out Neve Fisher-Black and Anis M. Testaban, the, la- the latter quickly coming back to the bunch, whilst in a cruel turn of events, Fisher-Black was barraged by the commissaires and after a hard chase slipped back to the second group. Vollering set the pace at the climb, with Van Vluten and Baun find the only riders able to hold the wheel right to the top, but Vollering, the silent killer, dropped a seated acceleration to take the win and the red jersey ahead of Van Vluten in second and Baun find in third. Stage six, and now it was time for all hell to break loose. This time it was SD Works who poorly timed their natural break. Movistar had identified an area of crosswinds and ripped the race to shreds as SD Works were stopped behind. Suddenly, the race was in pieces, with Movistar driving hard at the front and SD Works burning riders to limit the loss of Demi Vollering. Hitting the first of two second category climbs, Vollering was 1 minute 20 down on the leaders. Van Vluten was taking no prisoners today. On the front from the moment she had used up her team, she didn't want to waste a single second. She forged a group of five at the front, but attacking to take the six bonus seconds for the intermediate sprint, she found herself with only Gaia Raolini for company and continued to push on. Manieldi, Music and Lebu hung in the gap behind whilst Vollering slowly clawed her way back to the rem- remains of the peloton and rallied the troops to help her chase. Van Vluten powered on and took Raolini to the line, with Raolini taking the win in a photo finish. Vollering came in 1.04 behind, now 1.11 down on general classification. But the story continued, with a devastated Vollering feeling she had lost the red jersey through deception rather than fair play. The final stage featured the fearsome finishing climb of Lagos de Covadonga. SD Works and Vollering were looking for revenge and Van Vluten simply needed to defend. Vollering set her pace as, as riders continually dropped behind. A scare for Van Vluten with nine kilometres to go, fearing a rear puncture and calling up her team car. Five kilometres to go and Raolini attacked. Van Vluten lost the wheel and gave Vollering a second wind. 10 seconds grew to 20, then 30, then 40. The wing win hung in the balance. Van Vluten fighting the bike to keep herself in contention. With the finish shrouded in fog, it was impossible to know the gap. Vollering attacked in the last few hundred metres to take the stage win and the critical bonus seconds from Raolini in second and collapsed to watch the clock count up to see if she had done enough. 
Van Vluten emerged through the fog, crossing the line at 56 seconds and holding on to GC by only nine seconds. Raylene had climbed herself onto the podium, finishing, wait for it, 2.41 down, the exact amount of time she lost in the crosswinds. Well, it was such a saga, wasn't it, Lizzie? Because that Annemiek van Vluten, Demi Vollering rivalry really ramped up in those last three stages. The first one was a win for Vollering and then there was uh, a win for van Vluten, but maybe shrouded in a little bit of controversy, perhaps. Uh, and then at the end, it was, a uh, you know, another win for Vollering, but she hadn't done enough to take the overall. So it was just the most thrilling thing to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think, I, I still feel, think Vollering and SD Works feel cheated out of, out of that win. And I think that's probably, you know, you know, be a focus of what we're talking about because it was such a critical moment. Um, and I, I, my feeling is that, you know, I spoke to, I spoke to a rider from SD Works after the finish on stage six and I spoke to a rider from uh, Movistar. Neither wanted to provide me with a voice note, um, but I can, I can tell you what they said. Um, and it was interesting because I was actually watching the stage on delay and it's very difficult because you have no idea what's going on. I was making sure that I, I, I wasn't getting any outside information so it didn't get spoiled for me. And um, I got a message from an ex- the SD Works rider whilst I was watching it. And I said, well, you know, what what the hell happened? Because it's so split up and it says crosswinds, but was that actually the case? And uh, but, I mean, Lizzie, Lizzie, you're saying you watched it on a delay, but even... On stage six, by the time that the the coverage had started, basically we were already seeing that Demi Vollering was one minute twenty behind. Well, exactly. With you know, we, and we didn't have the information, so it's not just that you were watching it a little bit later, but it was you know we didn't even when we were watching it at the time didn't were seeing that Demi Vollering was one minute twenty behind uh, Annemiek van Vluten and had no idea what was going on. No, so everybody everybody watching the coverage was kind of shrouded in mystery as to how this had actually happened and. Um, the comms were suggesting that it may have been wind, but there wasn't really any evidence to to suggest that. And it seemed unusual that that all of SD Works, bar Marlon Reuser, would have been caught out because Marlon Reuser was the only rider who'd made that front group. So I asked the SD, rider, SD Works rider what happened and I said, was it crosswinds? She said, no, it was a disaster. One of us punctured and four stopped for a pee. Movistar must have heard and they put the whole team on the front. A barrage was put in place as riders started to get dropped. Full SD Works train to try and get Demi back. It was a mess. And she added that we didn't feel any respect from the peloton today. And, you know, as the stage went on and the stories came out, um, Movistar actually made their own statement. Uh, Sebastian Anzue made a statement on Twitter. He said... We had a very clear plan this morning. We knew it was an unprotected area with a big bridge and strong crosswinds. We had Jürgen Rolands in the front of the race informing us of the wind con- conditions where we wanted to make the acceleration. We know these roads perfectly because we live close to the area and we've been racing here all of our lives. And we knew that some of the GCA riders wouldn't expect it. So we went for it. They made a huge mistake in stopping at the worst possible moment for a pee. We made the same mistake yesterday with Liana stopping up for a pee just before the climb and she was caught up behind. We had to chase all day, but we accepted our mistake and didn't complain about other teams accelerating when she was peeing. It's racing. And well, this controversy continued to rumble on, didn't it? And I think it it will do so for a while. Well, what's your take on it, Lizzie? Uh, Because obviously you're, you're part of the peloton. Um, is it is it normal for uh, when like the leader of the race 
Um, that is kind of an unwritten rule, isn't it, in cycling? That when the lead of the race stops for a wee, you don't then go off and, and attack. That's the general kind of unwritten rule. But is it normal for a lead of the race to to do that or to stop with all of her team when, or not all of her team but almost all of her team when she when she stops yeah I think this is the tricky thing isn't it because we have all these unwritten rules of cycling which are really from men's cycling which does play out in a different way to women's cycling so in men's cycling the stages are so much longer you often have a much more formulaic um, approach you'll have a break up the road you'll let them gain seven eight minutes the whole of the peloton will stop for a wee and then off you'll go again um it's a lot less common in women's racing to stop for a wee. Um, you know, we have, or we didn't used to have as many stage races. So often there were one day races and then the race is on. If you do need to stop, what you generally do is you go and ask loads of people in the peloton so that you can get a huge group to stop at the same time. Because if you're just stopping on your own as a team, it's much more risky that something will happen. You know, if you've got 30 riders coming back at the same time, they're not going to barrage the cars. It's, it's just something that, that happens. Um, having said that, there are also both individual riders and teams who tend to stop for P-stops more than others. And I, I've thought a lot about this. And my feeling is that I think the race was two hours and 39 minutes long yesterday. Um, do you really need to stop for a P-stop in a race that long? And and yes, it was only 30 kilometers into the race that they stopped for a wee, but it was a short race and there were two big climbs in it. So yes, it's only 30 kilometers in, but it's not like you then have 100 kilometers of, you know, nothing going on. You've got two big things happening. I think I think they made a big mistake. You know, they made a big mistake um, and they felt like people had worked against them. They're probably forgetting that when Annemiek van Vluten had multiple bike changes in the Tour de France in the yellow leader's jersey, Vollering attacked her. Um, she put Lotte Kopecky on the, on the front. Um, they absolutely went for it um, and tried to get a gap. So, you know, it's racing. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that we said at the time that the race was on and, you know, that's life and these things happen. And I, I think that this was the same situation. It's difficult because I also spoke to a Movistar rider as well yesterday and she said, um, no, but seriously, we had a plan to go full gas in the only crosswind section of today. And then we heard in the radio that they stopped for a pee, but we already had the plan. So it sounds like they hadn't started the acceleration at the time they stopped for a pee, which is why it's contentious. But they had the plan. It was a stupid place to go for a wee. Um, they clearly hadn't done their research in the same way that Movistar had, who had the local knowledge and that paid off. Well, I mean, it's also the... The, the amount that Demi Vollering lost by was also compounded by the fact that she it wasn't just that she had stopped for a, a pee break, but it was that most of her team had also stopped with her at the same place, which means that, you know, they only had Marlon Royce up the road to uh, help drag Demi Vollering back into contention. And also compounded by the fact that the other riders that she was, as she was going through the teams, it was like a shark, wasn't she? Just coming up to picking all them of off, these different eating them. picking them off she was going going through all of these groups that were gradually dropping off on the climbs um the groups that she were joining were just full of other riders from teams that had riders up the road so they weren't going to work with her so it was only when Canyon Sram lost any hope of having anyone winning 
ahead of them that they also started to put in some of the the work but I mean that's obviously that's not all just because of people pushing on during her having a pee break that's also just the mechanics of cycling the politics of cycling isn't it that that kind of caused her to lose um quite so much and also I mean you can't have it that every time the leader stops for a pee that everyone stops otherwise you know you could just use that to your own advantage you know you could do it halfway up a climb and what everyone's gonna suddenly neutralize and stop you know, riding because it, the, it totally the depends on there. the situation, doesn't it? And you know, of course, um, yeah, it was the I think it was the gravel stage again of the Tour de France femme where where Annemiek had to go. You know, we knew we knew she had uh, stomach issues, food poisoning. I think she yeah. had something like that. Um, she had to go for something other than just a pee break, and and she lost time there. And you know, people didn't wait for her as you know, not necessarily the leader, of the, she wasn't the leader of the race at the time, but obviously one of sort of the stalwarts of the peloton, they just cracked on. Um, and I I think that, I just think that they made a mistake. I think that they made a mistake. They were very upset about it. I don't think that they handled it very well, um, actually. Um, Vollering posted on her Instagram that she basically, the caption was deception um the the team's media was very much that that they'd been deceived rather than they made a mistake and i think that they obviously feel that way and i understand why they feel that way but they made a mistake no other team stopped for a pee break with them if there are always people who need a wee and will go for a wee if there's an opportunity but clearly nobody else thought that that was a good time um, I actually asked, and it wasn't just Movistar drilling it on the front either, was it? Because Jumbo Visma also joining in with that hand trick, also. Yeah, and I also asked the SD Works rider, well, what about Bauenfeind? Why was she in that group with Vollering when Vollering was chasing to come back? Um, and the SD Works rider said that um, Bauenfeind was a dropped rider, so Bauenfeind was actually another casualty of the the Movistar acceleration. So, so you know, it was working for them, you know, but. Bauenfeind could have been a threat had she have gone up the road and you know she ended up being fifth on GC in the end I think um, so yeah I think good tactics by Movistar um, bad bad tactics and bad uh, decision making by SD Works and very upsetting for them understandably but um, yeah it was poor planning in the first place. Yeah, I think the controversy also takes a little bit away from what was a stunning... I mean, I want to say a solo win for Annemiek van Vluten, but she was neither solo nor did she actually win that stage. Well, she did She did, She did. She did. win it for, for about two minutes because there was a bit yeah. of controversy <laughs> after the finish as well because there was a very tight sprint between van Vluten and Gaia Raiolini. Um, nobody saw the finishing photo. It looked like Gaia really and just, Raiolini had just edged it out. Uh, we saw photos of... Raylene, um crying, congratulating, or be- doing the winners' interview, doing the winners' interview, and then-, and then the next thing we know, Van Vluten is on the stage, getting the winners' the winners' stage presentation, looking incredibly surprised and incredibly happy, saying, "How did this happen?" Um, the Vuelta Twitter had updated their, uh, you know, who had won post, um, and then the next thing we know, Gloria Raylene's on the stage, getting the stage. The same trophy. What I love about that is thinking, because when, when it came on, I thought, Annemiek van Vluten looks incredibly happy for someone who came second, but then she was giving all these trophies. I just imagine being the person who, when Annemiek was going off the podium, being like, 
would you mind just giving that trophy back? We actually need to give it to someone else. <laughs> You're not actually the, the stage winner. Uh, it was just chaos, wasn't it? It was chaos. But yes, Guy Rayleigh did, did uh, in fact, uh, win that. But it was an incredible solo performance by uh, Van Fluten because effectively she did, you know, all of the, the work. It was kind of like the strangest Womano uh, Womano <laughs> that you could get, wasn't it? Because it wasn't like Van Fluten and Vollering were actually going against each other but they but they were weren't they but they just happened to be a minute and a half separate and going against each other yeah parallel yeah. universe of racing it was so i mean it was amazing to yeah. watch it on tv and following did such a good job to claw back oh, the time gosh, i mean yeah. at one point she was 140 down and emotionally that must have been incredibly difficult she would have spent that whole time feeling she'd been deceived um, uh. and being very angry about it, I'm sure, and very upset about it, but having to overcome that to push and go all the way through these groups. And it was only on the second, second category climb that she got back to the remains of the peloton. And even then she had to keep pushing until they caught this group that was dangling between um, this peloton, if you can call it that, and Raylene and uh, Van Vloon. And only once all of that had been done, could she actually hand over the work to somebody else and sort of encourage everybody else to do some work, say, hey, aren't you going to do the work as well? And um, so she had a phenomenal effort on stage six. Van Vluten had a phenomenal effort. Her team did everything for her to get her into the base of the climb. Lippert started the climb. And then from there, Van Vluten was on the front for every single moment. Nobody else took a turn. Yeah. She just no, it was the it was the the Vollering Express behind trying to catch the Van Vluten Express in front. It was, yeah, it was quite something really. Very very tense the whole way through trying to know what would happen. So and and then also you know after something like that you do sometimes think okay that's kind of it it's kind of wrapped up. But I mean stage seven then brought up so many uh, so much excitement didn't it because we had this Van Vluten and Vollering this time you know, mano a mano, but actually together on the same yeah. little bit of tarmac. Uh, and then we have Guy Raelini, who's uh, is effectively, was the, it wasn't Vollering who actually um, displaced Van Vluten on that, the very last, uh. the Covadonga climb. It was actually Raelini who did the work yeah. there. Yeah. She, she accelerated and that's when Van Vluten dropped behind and Vollering kind of held onto her wheel. But I, I mean, I don't think it would have been as close as it was in the end if it wasn't for Raylini, I don't think Vollering would have actually, um, you know, made that kind of acceleration at that point. But she needed to go early, didn't she? Because she had such a, Vollering had such a deficit on Van Vluten that if she was going to win, she would have to go early. And it was actually Raylini who did the work for her there. Yeah, absolutely. She needed more than a minute on Van Vluten in order to get the win. That was clearly what she wanted. She'd made accelerations uh, nine kilometres to go, I think, and then a number of accelerations after that. She also needed to go on the steep sections, but Van Vluten had hung on and there was this really scary moment when we thought, oh my goodness, Van Vluten's punctured. <sighs> and, oh gosh, and she managed to get the team car up, but, you know, I'm sure we'll it'll come to light later on, you know, maybe in the week to find out if she had a slow puncture or not or if it was just one of those days when your legs aren't quite right and you think have I got a puncture <laughs> it could be anything yeah is it is it a, please let it be a puncture let it not be my legs um but perhaps it was her legs she said after the finish how she was really feeling the uh she didn't have the best legs today and she was feeling the effort of yesterday but yeah I mean Raylene five kilometers to go on that really steep section she put in it an attack and Vollering just got onto the wheel and held it around the corner and it's at that point when you 
you kind of get this wave of motivation when you know that you're putting somebody else in pain and you're putting somebody else in a hole, you can suddenly push harder. Um, and then they got this gap and they got further and further and then they got out of sight and then the fog came in and so Van Vluten couldn't even see them and we could see how she was rolling all over the bike. She was giving absolutely everything. She just collapsed in a massive puddle of mess at the end. Um, but she held onto it by nine seconds. Absolutely extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary. But, but what do we expect anything less from Van Vluten at, at this point? I mean, we were kind of wondering whether she'd have it in her because we, she'd been so quiet this season in the classics. But I think it's quite clear that she has been just building herself into being this, uh, you know, a stage racing uh, machine. And also, you know, when you do put out an effort like she did on stage six, a lot of riders, you'd think, well, are they capable of then uh, still having the legs on the final Get, stage getting, again? Getting but, up that blimmin' climb. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we know that Van Vluten puts in an extraordinary amount of hours. You know, it's, it's all about for her going to altitude, doing really long days on the bike, doing huge amounts of altitude. So if anyone was going to be able to put out such an extraordinary effort on stage six and then still be able to hang on uh, on stage seven, then it was certainly Van Vluten. But I think also you could see Vollering was suffering a bit from her efforts on stage six as well, couldn't you? On stage seven, she wasn't as... Uh, as fresh or as kind of um, explosive as clinical because there was yeah, yeah explosive because there was a time when Raylini uh, attacked um, and they did get a little gap to Van Fluten and I thought well surely Vollering will just see that and go and she just didn't or she just couldn't she couldn't come around Raylini so I think everyone was kind of suffering from that madness on, on stage six but yeah what an amazing finale yeah I mean I, I think it's it was clear from this race that at this point in the time um, Vollering has the upper hand, you know, despite the fact that Van Vluten won, uh, Vollering closed a huge gap yesterday, uh, closed another big gap today, uh, and was only nine seconds behind Van Vluten after losing, you know, a significant amount. So, you know, looking ahead to the Tour de France, you would have to say that Vollering has the edge over anybody else. I wondered coming in because previously, you know, in the kind of shorter, punchier climbs, we'd have bet our money on Vollering, but in the long, long climbs in the mountains, that's where Van Vluten comes into her own. But it seems to have had a shift this year, you know, but but Van Vluten's not had very much racing. She had 10 days of racing before this welter and um, she'll be racing the Spanish races. She's going to be racing the Giro and the Tour. And I, I feel that she, you know, like you said, Rose, she she really, you know, thrives off that high workload and that high race workload is is so beneficial physiologically that I think that we might see her coming out of these big race blocks a lot better than she went in. And then when we get to the Tour de France fam, things being a lot, lot, lot closer. But something we're also definitely going to have to talk about a bit more is, is Raolini's role in the Tour de France fam because it's been clear in this race that she is really the next big thing um, and the amount that she lost in the crosswinds is the amount that she was third by on GC. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, Lizzie, we've spoken an awful lot about what is effectively the last three or, or even two stages uh, of what was a week-long race. And it started, uh, obviously, team time trial. Jumbo Visma got a kind of surprise win there. 
Uh, and then we had Charlotte Cool, and then we had the return of Voss. Two wins for her uh, in a row. It's just fantastic seeing uh, a rider like Marina Voss, who's actually never ridden the Volta before. So it was her first um, leader's jersey that she also took, her first Volta stage win and her first leader's jersey. What is amazing to me is that even after all of these wins, I think it's almost 250 wins that she has in her career, 248 wins, which is just amazing. Um but even after all of those wins, she's still finding new races uh, to win, new jerseys to take, which is just such a special thing to be able to see. You know, it's probably Voss behind, um, you know, the addition of all of these new races to the calendar so that she can just, you know, we need this yes. this women's version of this race because I need, I need something yeah, else on. to win. Um, I've literally... I look fantastic in red. Give me a red jersey. <laughs> she come on. does look good in red. <laughs> And she looked great in green. That green jersey, I have to say, because she took the points jersey really in the end, didn't she? That green, <laughs> it was a beautiful green, a beautiful deep green. I was very much admiring Mariana, it. Mariana, if you're whole, listening, uh, I'm not joking. I genuinely do think you did look really good in red. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was also really important for Jumbo Visma because, um, as I said in the in the tale of the tapas, um, the team time trial was the first win for for Jumbo Visma this year. And then now they finished the week with three wins um, and a second place. So um, it's so good for a team to to have that spirit in the team that you can win. It gives everybody the confidence. And I think that they took the team time trial together as well, gives the whole team a lot of confidence. Also, Rihanna Marcus was very good in the race. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, Voss, Voss did what Voss always does, really. She was outfoxed on stage two by um, Charlotte Cool, but then she got one over on her on stage three, um, which is quite impressive, really, because the, the race was, you know, heavy on hills and light on sprinters. Um, but Charlotte Cool is out and out one of the best in the world alongside Lorena Bieber. So for Voss to be able to actually get in front of her was very, very impressive. And of course, in both of those sprint stages, we had Chloe Diger in um, in third place as well, which was really, really cool to see her back, actually. A really good addition to the Canyon Shram team. They've been racing so aggressively this year. They've taken on just a different spirit. You know, we think thanks to a lot in part, thanks to Magnus Backstead being in the car um, as a director, but also perhaps a, a just a slightly different composition of riders that can really change the momentum of a team. And um, Chloe actually only did five stages of the race. She didn't start the sixth, sixth stage. The team felt that it was better to take her out after five hard stages and allow her to rest for the upcoming competitions. Um, but it's really promising what she's done there. And I think if you reran those sprints a number of times more, I do think she'd get the win. You know, this is the first time that she's been sprinting in the World Tour Peloton and she was third both times and it was very, very close. So um, super interesting to see what she can continue to do in the other World Tour races. We don't know yet when she'll be racing again with Canyon Tram. So um, we're just going to have to keep our ears to the ground. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Because we were talking about, you know, the return of Marianne Voss because we should say that over the winter she had... Um, pelvic iliac surgery and that's what you know what she's finally recovered from and come back and it was her first wins of the season uh, but Chloe Diger has had a really tumultuous uh, last few years and actually it was back in 2021 that she signed with Canyon SRAM or that she was going to be uh, riding for them yeah. um, and it was 
she has for a long time been this great American talent. Um, I remember talking to Nicola Cranmer. This was back in kind of uh, 2016. And, you know, she was the uh, owner of the Show Air 2020 team, which is an American team, Olympic uh, development team, essentially. And she was saying, just watch out for Chloe Diger because she is beyond. She is another level of rider. And we haven't managed to actually... Uh, see her riding in Europe in in the World Tour because although she um, rode for uh, Kenya Stram in, in signed for them in 2021, um, she's had so many setbacks, hasn't she, Lizzie? That means that it's, we're only now seeing what she can actually do. Yeah, I mean, back in 2019 in the Yorkshire World Championships, how can you forget that performance in the ITT where she... I mean, for the people that knew about her, I guess it wasn't really much of a surprise, but for the European peloton, you know, for, for whom she hadn't been racing with um she just comes along and absolutely blasts everybody out of the water um in the itt then uh 2020 of course was the the covid pandemic year and she came to the imaloa world time trial championships she was uh the last rider to go off being the reigning world champion she was actually up on the time of the the fastest time um and she was pushing it even harder because she wanted to win by even more uh, she crashed over the side of a, a uh, guardrail, split open her leg, had this horrific injury, cut through all of her muscle, took a long time to come back from. She actually did race in 2021 at the Olympics, um, both on the track and on the road and also at the uh, US National Championships. But she she was able to do those races, but she wasn't really able to recover from them. It seemed like she came back too soon. She wasn't able to race with the Canyon Tram team at all that year. Um, in 2022, she raced one race with Canyon Shram, Omelette Pet Newsblad, which wasn't World Tour. Um, she then suffered from um, infectious mononucleosis, also known as glandular fever. Uh, later in 2022, uh, she had to have uh, an ablation of her heart due to supraventricular tachycardia. Um, and then in this spring, she was due to race with the team again, but she was hit by uh, a number of viral illnesses in a row, three, I think including COVID, which I assume took her a while to recover from. And that's why we haven't seen her until now. So she's really been plagued with one thing after another. And she said coming into this race, she was so happy to just finally be healthy and finally be here. Um, and it was interesting because I thought, well, we, will we see her coming back to form? But we already saw a Chloe Diger that's on fire. She was working very hard. She was right at the front of the race. Um, she was in the green points jersey as well. Um, and yeah, it's really, really very exciting for what she can do in the future. And yeah, I'm happy that she's she's finally able to be back. Well, yeah, I mean, she got two third places, um, obviously second with the, the rest of the team and the team time trial. But as you say, Lizzie, it's actually seeing what f effects she can have on the race, uh, which is even more incredible, like, you know, how she can uh, work as a domestique uh, to set up the other riders um, in our team and that in her team and that kind of uh, nicely our segues team. into one of the other riders. <laughs> our team, right? Our team. You're just like giving yourself a contract with Canyon Shram. Well, I feel like they wouldn't have us because we, we have been quite hard on Canyon Shram over uh, the years because we like them so much and they have so much potential. We've been hard because we wanted them to improve and they've taken our advice and look how they're flourishing now. So uh, our team, uh, Kenyon Sram. Um, I'm not, no, sure, I mean, not sure my actual team, EF Tibco SVB. No, that's about true. We'd actually like that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we're all friends. Um, we're all but, friends in the peloton. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But it was uh, amazing seeing uh, Ricarda Balanfind um, come to the forefront. She's a Canyon Sram uh, rider and she finished fifth uh, on GC in the end. A really incredible young talent. And Gone, Rose, if you've been listening to the Cycling Podcast Summer now for the last year, you will know about her because we've been talking about her for a year already. Back when she was with Canyon Sram Generation, we were already saying, watch out for Balanfind. She's such a huge talent. Um, and she came across to the Canyon Shram racing team from this this year from the generation team and she has really stepped up. She really has. And we also saw so much of her at the World Championships, didn't we? Because um, she was cl- classified under the under 21s uh, race and she was up in contention uh, to take that. Um, sort of out of uh, nowhere. Well, can't say out of nowhere because like Lizzie said, you know, we, we can just sit here being smug that we meant, <laughs> we knew. Um, but yeah, a fantastic uh a week uh, from her well fantastic finishing result um, we'll hear from her now shall we I mean she is in a car uh, bear in mind just after uh, the finish of stage 7 so this is what she had to say so I start with what didn't go so well um, the worst day was stage stage 3 with the edge lines. I didn't have a good position and was dropped from the front group but it was a new experience for me and I definitely learned from it. Uh, on the positive side, a seven-day stage race with the team was a new experience for me and I enjoyed every day with my teammates around. Um, we supported each other each day and to get fifth in GZ was yeah, a big team effort. Um, and now it's a really great feeling to finish the week. I didn't expect it, but it gives me a lot of confidence for the next races. Well, Lizzie, uh, Ricarda Baumfind wasn't the only young talent that caught our eye. We spoke a little bit about Guy Raelini, uh, haven't we already? Um, she was so uh, impressive, but obviously she ended up uh, in third place when she could have been going for the top spot couldn't she because as you mentioned in your roundup two minutes 41 uh was the deficit on the gc uh after stage seven but actually she lost exactly two minutes 41 uh in the crosswinds on stage three now would you put that is that is that a team uh issue because i know that this happened to annemiek van fluten um many years ago the Giro rosa she was uh, odds on to take it. She'd done all the hard work, all the hard climbs. She was in the pink jersey, a really innocuous sprint stage. And what was then would have been uh, a green edge team that she rode for. They just went caught napping a little bit and they got caught behind in the crosswinds and then she lost the jersey. And I think that since then it's been for, for Van Vluten like a never again situation. But it was surprising really for Trek Segafredo to find themselves caught behind um, on that stage three um, you know such an experienced team it's difficult to know exactly what happened and how exactly to pick it apart because we didn't have any coverage of this happening um, and actually we had a very very small amount of coverage for this stage because the it, we were you know like an hour ahead of schedule or something because they were going so fast um, from the reports I know that Raelini was dropped from the front group in the crosswinds um, Amanda Spratt came out of them due to a puncture um, and I don't know exactly which order that happened in so then the Trek Segafredo team were all pulled in order to to do this team time trial in order to limit their losses 
Um, I have a feeling that if Raylini had been behind and Spratty had been in the front, then Spratty would have been left there and everybody except for Spratty would have been trying to get Raylini back up to the front because they knew her potential in the climbs. I think the really interesting thing about Gaia Raylini is I felt quite strongly this week that, that later in the week, okay, we saw on... Um, the stage five summit finished that she did have she did lose a you know a few seconds there to to van vluten and vollering but on stage six stages six and seven i felt like she was riding kind of within herself and it's obviously the first time that we've seen her in this position um she has a really strong team around her and that is giving her so much confidence the amount of confidence that she will gain from this will inform both her and the team of what they're able to do because it's not just her that didn't really know what they could do what she could do it was the team as well you know they were putting her in this position but they weren't really sure how it would go um she hadn't been up against these people before she hadn't done really long climbs before so i'm really curious to see what can happen if she really goes for it you know she didn't need to attack Van Vluten on stage six. She was just sitting on the wheel, uh, getting a free ride to the finish and going for the stage win, which she managed to get. But I wonder on Lagos to Covadonga if she could have gone even harder to try and drop Vollering. You know, she she went for it on that steep bit. She gapped Van Vluten, Vollering got on her wheel. I wonder if she'd have if she could have gone again and she could have actually got a gap on the line because once they got you got into the finishing section which was quite a fast run in then Demi Vollering is going to have the advantage there so the fact that Vollering won the stage doesn't necessarily mean that Raelini couldn't have done had she have done something tactically different but I think that Track Secretary will learn so much from this um, and it's going to be super interesting to see what she races um, and who goes to the Giro and who goes to the Tour. We know at the moment that Van Vluten is down to do all three Grand Tours this season. Um, I strongly suspect that um, Vollering will not be at the Giro. Um, I'm not sure if we've had confirmation and I think that there will probably be quite a lot of riders who aren't at the Giro because it's it's a little bit tight between it. It depends how as a rider you um, react to that input from the race and how you recover from it there's not very long to recover um, and it also depends if you've done the Vuelta as well because then if you do all three it's a lot and also because um, we don't have to total specialisation in the women's peloton Vollering has obviously been you know wiping the floor with everyone during all of the spring classics I mean it, it would be uh, incredibly difficult to keep that kind of peak form through all of the spring classics and through the Vuelta that we just had and then to go to the also to go to the Giro and then to the Tour, uh, it would just be really difficult. And obviously, we, what we've seen of Van, of Van Pluten is that she's uh, her peak has come a little bit later. So you know we're seeing her move into her peak, like you said earlier, Lizzie. Also, that kind of big blocks of racing really suits her. Um, so uh, yeah, but it puts the Giro in a bit of a difficult position, I think, which is a shame because as much as it is madness that race, and there are times when I've been at the Giro and. Uh, I've been told uh, that the race was going to be on one road and then I've noticed about 400 metres behind me <laughs> the riders passing through, which is the same for the riders, not necessarily knowing what, what roads they're going on. And it's a long-established stage race, isn't it? So it will be really interesting to see 
um, how the teams and how the riders are approaching, you know, which uh, jerseys, which kind of accolades they, they want to put their attention on. Yeah, and I think this this May block now, you know, we've got seven day long now, uh, Vuelta Femenina, um, we've got Insulia, Burgos, and you've got one day races like Durango Durango, you've got the Navarra Classic. So there's a there's a big block in this in this May period, which is very climber friendly. Um, and a lot of riders have had a hard spring. Then they've done the Ardennes races and now they're going to come into the May races. And it, it, it does leave people in a difficult position because the teams still aren't really big enough to, to cope with this. And, you know, you've got seven rider teams now. Um, and with the maximum number of riders on a team only being 16, um, and you, you know, not that many teams have 16, you always have riders out for, with injury. You always have riders doing multiple disciplines, track, cyclocross, you know, it's probably half of your available, more than half of your available team. So it is a bit tricky. Um, I do hope we still see a, a big field, a, you know, a good competitive field at the Giro. Actually, I'll probably be there. So maybe I'll hope that the field isn't <laughs> competitive. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for the race itself and and I think that in the future, you know, we talked about this, I think, in the, in the main episode of, of uh, the Cycling Podcast Seminar, how it was a shame that now that the women's tour was cancelled for this year, the Giro had looked to take that spot on the calendar. Um, and of course, you can't move it this late. Um, but I think in the future, we need these Grand Tours to be a little bit more spread out. So um, it'll be interesting to see what will happen with 2024, because of course, the Tour de France will need to be moved anyway because of the Olympics. Well, it's so exciting. And also just such a thrill seeing the, well, it's like what we said, actually, not to just keep tooting our own horn it's just like we're just people listening to this podcast must just be like they just relentlessly say how great they are but that's because we are but also um we did <laughs> we did say um didn't we that we didn't know what the names were gonna obviously volering van fluten looking incredibly strong but we don't know what other names are gonna uh, appear this year and i think that's part of the the great thrill of stage racing isn't it because you, you do throw a few, lot of other names uh, into the mix and we just want to see you out there Lizzie um, don't we I'm hoping that when I do maybe a, a Juro Arrive that um, I'll just be getting a voice note from you in the car with your legs up um, sitting on the maybe sitting on the Malia Rosa even my my legs will definitely be up but if I'm sitting on the Malia Rosa then the person whom I'm sitting on might not be very comfortable that's very true um, well <laughs> but yeah you're right Rose there's a lot of new names coming through and um, it's been really exciting in this Vuelta to see you know for instance Evita Music she, she's had a really good Vuelta and she's got better and better as the week has gone on for FTJ Suez and um, what's interesting about Evita Music is that of course she's French so the Tour de France will be a massive goal for her um, and so important being in her home nation. But also she had a knee injury this winter and also last year. So she's not had the best winter preparation, but despite that, she's been getting better and better. And she was so close to holding on um, on both stage six and stage seven. So excited to see what else she can do. Rihanna Marcus, of course, she had a she had a great ride, faded a little towards the end of the week. Um, Labu, I think, is getting better and better. So um, also Manialdi, yes, she had a she had a really good ride on stage six. So um, it is exciting to see to see all of these riders coming through. And whatever happens, you know, if we don't have um, Vollering at the Giro, for instance, we may have 
a, a very, very exciting race because all of these names will be very, very close and we won't know what to expect. And so perhaps it'll make the race even more exciting and thrilling. Although I hope maybe not because I'm absolutely exhausted. I was yawning before we started recording. <laughs> so tired. God, emotionally exhausted from the roller coaster of the last few days of racing. Well, that's a perfect place to uh, end, Lizzie, because you've whetted everybody's appetite for um, not only you know the stage tapas. races to come, but also the tapas, but also to you know uh, to see what you can do. Also, hopefully, in the stage races that you're going to be doing uh, coming up, starting with the Joe Martin uh, race out in the states. But we're going to have to leave it there, um, as you can probably tell, because we just listed off a load of potential. Uh, fantastic um, riders, didn't we, at the end there, just to get their names in so then we can say that we've discussed Rihanna Marcus and Erica Magnaldi and all these other fantastic yeah, riders. Yeah, when they win, we will say you heard it here first. Yeah, very briefly in the last <laughs> 10 seconds of our last podcast. But uh, yes, well, I look forward to catching up with you again, Lizzie, uh, for our next uh, podcast, which will be the uh, Cycling Podcast Feminine, won't it? It will be. And thank you very much, Rose, and see you soon. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.